We're speaking with Michael Trachtman, author of The Supreme's Greatest Hits, the 34 Supreme Court cases that most directly affect your life. When trying to match what, what the Constitution's founders intended with a modern society, the court sometimes has to be, I guess, inventive uh, might be a good word. The Constitution does not specify a right to privacy in so many words, but the Supreme Court has ruled that it is implied, leading to a couple famous cases in reproductive rights. Can you talk about, uh, well, both Griswold versus Connecticut and Roe v. Wade? Yeah, Griswold is, is the case that started this. Um, when, when, you, when you watch on television... Uh, the confirmation hearings of Supreme Court justices, which have become television events, as, as you know, and you'll, you'll see senators asking uh, prospective Supreme Court uh, justices what their position is on Griswold. That's really code for what's your position on Roe versus Wade, but I don't want to ask it in so many terms. Griswold is the case that formed the foundation for Roe versus Wade. Griswold was a, was a case where there was a uh, a statute in Connecticut which which said that no one was allowed to use contraception, not even married couples. Everybody agreed that this is an absolutely ridiculous statute that should be off the books. Um, it was challenged in, in Connecticut. Uh, eventually it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court had to determine whether or not that statute prohibiting the use of contraception, even by a married couple, was constitutional. This highlighted the distinction in philosophies among Supreme Court justices that has lasted all during our history. Some Supreme Court justices take the position that the Constitution is a very living, breathing document that should be interpreted a little bit more loosely so as to adapt to unforeseen situations and changing times. Uh, other justices feel that the Constitution should be interpreted in a very limited, very strict way, means what it says, says what it means. Don't strain yourself to interpret it to situations where the words don't ordinarily allow it. Uh, a bare majority led by Justice Douglas, a very liberal justice in terms of interpreting the Constitution, found in the Constitution a right of privacy that allowed him to invalidate that Connecticut law as being an unconstitutional impingement on privacy. Obviously, as you pointed out, there's nothing in the Constitution that says in so many words that there is a right of privacy, but Justice Douglas says it's implied, it's between the lines. When people talk about us being able to be free from unreasonable searches, for example, and lots of other things, there's a right of privacy in there. Other justices were vehement that there's no right of privacy. Connecticut should repeal its law if it wants. It's not up to the federal government and the Supreme Court to make every wrong right much as they'd like to get rid of that Connecticut statute, it was not within the power of the Supreme Court to do so, they said, and you had that big cleavage on the court. In any event, a right of privacy arose, and it was on the basis of that right of privacy that years later, Justice Blackmun and a majority of the Supreme Court uh, found that laws prohibiting abortion uh, was also an impingement on the right of privacy, and you know where we've gone from there. Well, the rights of the government versus the rights of private citizens are often argued before the court. There was a very contentious case in recent years, uh, Kelo versus City of New London, that concerned the seizing of private property, still reverberating about the country. Can you talk about Kelo? Yeah, Kelo involved a, a case involving a town in Connecticut, New London, which was economically depressed. Uh, and the city fathers of, of New London wanted to do something about that. Now, we've, we've all heard the term eminent domain. Uh, or, or the process of condemning property for hundreds of years, even even before uh, the United States was born in, in, in English law, it's always been a given that the government can take land from a private citizen for fair compensation under the power of eminent domain. 
And the way we usually, however, conceive of that is in a very limited way, where there, there's perhaps a, a public highway that's being laid out, a new highway, and it's going to go through somebody's backyard, and so you've got to take that, or a water treatment plant, or, or some such thing as that, a utility, or some measure of infrastructure, which requires a private sacrifice for the public good in extreme circumstances. The, the question in New London, however, went beyond that, and it was this. The, 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 the government in charge of New London wanted to take an entire development not to build a highway or a water treatment plant, but to build a commercial development that would have private commercial interests in it, an office park, a shopping center, that sort of thing, under the theory that this would do a lot of public good. And the question was, could the power of eminent domain be extended beyond the normal let, let, let's build a utility, let's build infrastructure to, let's build a commercial development that might revitalize an economy. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, the power of eminent domain does, in fact, extend that far. doesn't have to be. Not every state has to allow that. But if a state chooses to allow that, it's not unconstitutional, which means that you could be sitting in your backyard today, and tomorrow your backyard can hold a Ritz-Carlton Hotel, uh, if, 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 in fact, the local government decides that's what's best for the local economy. This provoked a firestorm, as you pointed out, and many, many states have, have under the face of public protest, rallied to try and enact legislation which would limit these rights and, and make it absolutely clear that the right of eminent domain is extremely limited to the kinds of circumstances I described before. But unless and until that's done... Lots of people across the country are presently facing situations, whether it's good or bad is not for me to say, where economic development projects are being coupled with the power of eminent domain, and only time will tell as to how far that will be allowed to go. Well, everything we've talked about so far, I think I knew a little bit about, uh, but you had a couple cases in your book I, I was completely unaware of, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. You noted in the book that many think they're two of the most significant cases of the 20th century. Monroe versus Pape, and one I really love the name of, Bivens versus six unknown named agents of Federal Bureau of Narcotics. <laughs> what, what do those cases do for uh, American citizens? Well, essentially what those cases do is, is clarify the fact that there's a remedy for people when something may have been done wrong to them. I mean, th those are cases which make it plain that you not only have constitutional rights on paper, but you have constitutional rights in the form of a real remedy should something be done to you that, that is, in fact, unconstitutional. What happened in the, in the Monroe versus Pape case was police misconduct. And up until that time, the law had been very problematic in terms of people who might be damaged by uh, police misconduct, FBI misconduct, investigative misconduct, anything along those lines. Monroe versus Pape established the right to sue under a provision of the law that has become colloquially known as Section 1983. Lots of times you read in the newspaper about how someone has filed a Section 1983 case against the government for having done one thing or another which breaches someone's constitutional rights, and all that comes out of that Monroe versus Pape case where the Supreme Court decided, you know what, if the government damaged you, if it, if it takes your property unlawfully, for example, uh, it, if, it, if it violates your rights of privacy, uh, if, it, if it improperly compromises your right to free speech, your religious rights, discriminates against you in a racial way, um, you've got rights to damages. You can bring what's called a Section 1983 case and get yourself to damages. So it's a remarkable characteristic of our government where, thanks to the Supreme Court, the federal government has 
afforded to the citizens of the country the right to sue the federal government for damages if the federal government does something wrong. Uh, literally, only in America. Well, here in a radio station, as with any other media outlet, we have to be cognizant of what defines free speech and what its limits are. You've mentioned five cases in the book that are related to speech, and, and they're all relevant, but I'd like to focus on one in particular, which granted media outlets some added latitude to cover events, the 1964 uh, New York Times versus Sullivan. Yeah, I think that's one of, the, one of the most important cases of the 20th century, and it, and it certainly is the case that allows us to have conversations such as what we're having right now. There's a body of law called defamation, libel, slander, most people have heard about. And, and the law of defamation basically provides that if, if you or I were to say something false about someone else that damaged that, the reputation of that someone else, we could be liable in damages in a defamation lawsuit for libel or slander. Uh, it wouldn't matter if, if we used good faith, if we just made a mistake, if we, if we really believed it's true. Uh, if it's false and it damages somebody's reputation, we could be liable. Well, think about how that would limit the, the public discourse about public figures. If you had a local mayor and, and, and you had to wanted to have a dialogue on the radio or elsewhere about, about that government official, you probably wouldn't do that or you'd at least bite your tongue for fear of a defamation suit if you were to say something which turned out to be false even though you believed it to be true at the time. Public discourse is, is, is one of the lifebloods of our society. Supreme Court got involved in, in this, this situation and decided in the New York Times v. Sullivan case that when it comes to public figures, the laws of defamation have to be altered, have to be changed. People have to be free to criticize in good faith public figures. Yeah, if you purposefully and maliciously tell a lie about somebody, you can still be liable for defamation. But if you're expressing your opinion or you're, you're making your good faith comments, you've got to be free from the fear of lawsuit. And thanks to the New York Times versus Sullivan case, you've got newspaper commentaries, media commentaries, talk shows, radio shows, call-in shows where people are free to criticize in good faith public figures and public officials without fear of those kinds of lawsuits. Well, we, we are running out of time, but before we go, I want to I ask you about some issues that you think might be likely to come before the court. A lot of people are curious to see what direction the Supreme Court will take with John Roberts and Sam Alito on board. What, what are you most curious about, about watching in terms of decisions, new directions they may go? Um, I'm very curious about uh, campaign finance reform. Obviously, this is a situation that's at the top of the priority list for a lot of people in terms of taking even the suspicion out of government to the extent that government officials may be influenced in their decision-making by large contributions from special interests. And there, there certainly has been a lot of activity in this area. There's been a couple of very important Supreme Court cases. There's been legislative responses. But the loopholes abound uh, in terms of big money getting into politics. And, and there's a real question as to where Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito come down on this because there are First Amendment issues involved. I, I'm, I'm not in the business of predicting Supreme Court decisions for sure, but this is something to watch very closely, whether they will allow Congress to further uh, regulate campaign finance reform or whether they will render a decision which substantially compromises the ability of Congress to regulate campaign contributions. That's, that's certainly one. Another issue is, is the, whole, the whole matter pertaining to the Internet. I mean, the Internet is, is, a, is a First Amendment dream come true, uh, in terms of the ability to to access and express an unrestricted variety of thoughts and views and opinions and information sources, some some not so accurate, some very accurate, 
question becomes, will this be regulated in some way? Can it lawfully be regulated in some way, most particularly to protect children? Great balancing act that has to be done here. Pornography is replete on the Internet. How can you regulate it uh, to protect children while at the same time not casting your net too far? Do we even have the technology to figure out among the millions and millions and millions of postings on the Internet how to find the ones that might be offensive to children? Those kinds of issues are there uh, for, for certain. And a final issue is something, is a case that was argued in December of 2006. It's going to involve the role of race in our society. Can you consider race, can you give preferences to minorities in order to increase diversity in, in our society? We've always tried to be a colorblind society where race doesn't matter. But suppose you're using race uh, to promote something as opposed to, uh, to dissuade a, a minority, such as to promote greater, greater diversity in a high school or a college or even in a business. Can you do that? Supreme Court's about to speak to that, and, and that will define an awful lot of what we can and can't do in our society. Those are, those are three issues that I find to be extremely important, and we're right on the cusp of hearing from the court with respect to them. The book is The Supreme's Greatest Hits, The 34 Supreme Court Cases That Most Directly Affect Your Life, and Most Fascinating Read, recommend it very highly. Uh, Michael G. Trachtman, thank you for speaking with us about it. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. We're coming up to the break, but after that, we'll be speaking with author George Pendle about his book, Strange Angel, The Otherworldly Life of Rocket Scientist Sean Whiteside Parsons. 